The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Before we start this episode, a quick note from me, uh, producer Thim. Now, I want to be very clear. I, I think of Alex and James and everybody else who gets behind the wheel of an IndyCar as an absolute gladiator. I think what they do, wheeling these cars at the speeds that they do with the skill that they do, is superhuman. They are fantastic. They are the best in their field. They are incredible. Now, what they're not good at is other technology. So for that reason, we had both of them, Alex and James, uh, mess up on recording their audio remotely. So we have to use the backup audio recording that I use, which basically just records my Skype call. So the audio quality is not up to the standards we usually like to have with Off Track. So uh, please forgive us. And if you don't forgive us, uh, let Alex and James know on Twitter how bad they are at this. Because, uh, because it's a thing. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello, James. Oh, hi, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Where are we? Should we do a podcast? We should. Let's. I feel like podcasting today. Why? Because I've worked for the last 15 frantic minutes to turn this stupid system on and get a podcast going. So we should probably do it. Can we? we should. Can we talk I, about? That? I only can want we talk to talk about how oh long it God. took. Here we go again. <laughs> no, we don't have to talk about how long it took, Tim. What we have to talk about is a lot of things. We have, uh, you know, a race to recap. We have a funny flight to talk about. Um, but before we get to that, we actually have a very special guest. So it's really the only reason I want to be on this episode today, to be honest. Yeah, with you. I think we forego the rest of the stuff and dive right in to our special guest and. I'm going to I'm going to open this with the caveat that I've actually had this guest on my previous podcast, The Mare on Air, and Which it sucked. was well it's <laughs> it's it sucked less because Thim wasn't on it. So it didn't have you, but it didn't have Thim either, so it sort of balances out. But no, it was it was I'm not just saying this cuz he's listening. It was my favorite episode that we did of that show. It was incredible. Uh ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Herda. Wow, that's a lot to live up to. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you some of the same questions, and I better get just as good answers the second time. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little worried that we're going to be able to compare them, and I might not give the same answer. I'm getting older. Now, Recollection might change. My stories do get better over time, though. Now, in, in your defense, uh, I was still fairly recent after my accident. We, did, we, we recorded that in 2015, and so there's a good chance I was on a lot of drugs, and maybe your stories were better than I thought they were. Or, or weren't as good as I thought they were. And I suppose that's different now. <laughs> okay, that, that's good. You, 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 I, I like how you do that. You build your guests up, then you smack them down a little bit, 
<laughs> Make sure you got them at the level you want them. Well, we, we got to keep you humble, man. You're, uh, you had a pretty big weekend. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we did. Should we talk about it? Alex, take it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I just want to get right into the fact of the, the first question. Um, so did you ever think that when you were bringing your son Colton to a racetrack that as you were driving Indy cars and he was five years old, six years old, whatever, um, that, you know, a short 10 to 15 years later, you were going to be standing in the winner's circle with him winning his first IndyCar race. Was that ever a possibility in your mind? No, no. Uh, only, only because like he, he loved it, right? Like he loved every second of being at the track and watching and everything, but he's, he was just, a little kid and even now at 18 he's an adult but for me he's still that little kid so it's it's crazy for me to even get my head around it now let alone then no way i mean i imagine little- it was just as big of an accomplishment for him to have a full season this year um let alone going out and being as competitive as he has i mean i that's got to be uh, a pretty unique situation for for dad to be and i know my dad kind of felt the same way. James, I'm sure you're the same, but for you to also still be so closely involved in the sport with Marco, um, it's obviously a very unique situation you're in. Yeah. And you guys, you guys understand it. And I think it's true in any, in a lot of sports, right? Is it, it, it takes a monumental effort and it takes, you know, a family support and a lot of people around you to get you to that point. And, you know, we've got friends who's uh, who have daughters that play softball and friends who have kids that are in gymnastics. And it's the same thing, right? It's it's all the effort and work that goes into into getting you to that level that uh, I think that's why it feels so sweet now is like it's it's sort of the realization of a dream because up until this weekend, it was exactly just that, a dream. And when he got the ride for the full season with Harding Steinbrenner, that was that was the op- amazing opportunity. Uh, but the dream was still to come, and now now it kind of feels like the dream is coming true, and that's that's a nice it's a nice sensation for everybody, you know, for him. Very happy for him. But like I said, so many people put a lot into seeing him get to this point, and uh, that's you know that's true for every driver that that's out there. For you, was it more of a point of pride because he he doesn't he doesn't just win, you know, his what his third IndyCar start he takes the record as the youngest ever winner in the series. Does that hold an additional, you know, bit of a uh, bit of weight for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like that wasn't a target or a goal that anybody set for him or he didn't set for himself, <clears throat> but it's an amazing, it's, it's a cool stat, right? That's something that he'll have now until the next younger guy comes along and someday that'll happen. <clears throat> but, uh, but it's, it's kind of a really cool thing. And one of the nice things is Graham Rahal, who'd, kind of held that uh held that record for the last i think 10 or 11 years was one of the first people to come to victory lane and shake his hand and congratulate him and i thought that was really cool of graham to do absolutely what uh what kind of racing dad do you think you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> like <laughs> how does it compare to like the, the the softball dad or the baseball dad like, right, and like, and you're in, you're in a unique position because you've been a driver, and and so like, what kind of what kind of racing dad are you? Are you like 
Were you the guy that was up against the fence with the stopwatch at all times? Or were you a little more hands off and kind of let him figure it out for his own? I mean, obviously you had a lot of, a lot of information to, to give, but how did you, how did you navigate that? I, I think I view myself as more trying to be the hands off dad and just put him in good situations with good people around him and let him try and be successful. <laughs> but you'd have to ask them if they feel like I'm accomplishing the hands off <laughs> part or not. I don't know. It's difficult. I feel like it's especially difficult for me in racing. Like if he was playing baseball, it'd be very easy for me to just sit in the stands and watch and cheer and, and kind of ride along the ups and downs. But unfortunately in racing, I spent my whole life in it. So I probably know more or see more of the ins and outs. And so some things that maybe I, you know, it's easy to get frustrated if you think, you know, Oh, they should have stopped earlier or this was right. Or that was wrong. Uh, it's hard for me, but I, I try and swallow it down and not, not say too much. Cause I know ultimately it's not really my place to do so. And I'm really grateful that I have the role I have with Andretti Autosport and working on the 98 with Marco because it does channel a lot. It gives me a place to put all that nervous energy and it keeps me busy and it keeps me occupied. So I have less time to obsess or worry about what he's got going on. It, I think it helps me. That, that actually, sorry, sorry, Alex. I'm just going to say that kind of leads into a, another question I wanted to ask, which is quite simply, I mean, it applies in general to any race, but specifically this past weekend, it, it's, you know, a heightened, who, how much attention are you paying to, to Colton during the race? You know, with those, at Coda, five laps to go, you know, Colton's on the brink of a breakthrough result, but Marco, the 98, is having a great race too, coming up, running inside the top six. How, how are you splitting your focus at that point? Actually, less than I would have thought, you know, especially like in those last 10 laps after that restart. I mean, as obviously I was, I was watching and hoping he'd get a good, clean restart there and he did but then like you said marco was you know he was in kind of a a bit of a dog fight we're you know we're working on that and so i was really having to stay pretty focused on what we were doing with marco and giving him gaps and letting him know how much push to pass the cars around him had and all those things like i said i i find it i found it very easy to stay focused with marco and i've also found it i was very grateful because if i had had to just watch and obsess those last 10 laps uh, I would have been a nervous wreck but I really wasn't at all surprisingly I wasn't that nervous I was I I think I had that calm sense of like I don't want to be defeatist but like if you know if he had the the thing pulled over and stopped on the side of the road with a broken drive shaft with five to go I think I would have still been incredibly satisfied for him because he Right. The first thing you have to do is prove you belong. And I felt like, you know what, this is this is a race where he's showing that. Right. And that was the cool part for me. And I didn't worry too much at the end. Uh, and Marco was doing great. So I was able to kind of focus on that. And and we got two great results. So I would love to think every single weekend from here on out will be like that. But <laughs> I feel like uh, there'll, there'll be challenges ahead and we'll have to take them one at a time. So as as kind of you being his his dad still and everything like on a race weekend is there because because it's still a different team right so i mean it, it's got to be a difficult thing in some respects um to kind of balance out the the things you're giving him and the advice that you're giving him because at the end of the day you know your job is 
obviously to to help Marco and and everything that that his efforts are focused towards um, each weekend. But at the same time, I mean, it's your son. So, I mean, it's, it, it's an awesome position, I think, kind of just how you described it. But at the same time, it sounds like it would add another element of, of kind of um, potential stress and, and conflict for you to, to kind of figure out what is the right avenue and, and path to walk along. Or is, is it pretty seamless so far? It hasn't been too bad. I mean, you know, you think about we've been going racing together since he was six years old, right? And go karts. So I think we've kind of got our the way we do it between ourselves worked out pretty well. And pretty much now, I don't see him or talk to him much during the day at all. Um, I like to try and catch up or get a little recap of his day, you know, at, at the end of the day at dinner or whatever. Uh, but we got this thing now where he knows that I'm always available if he, if he wants to talk or he's got a question and usually he'll just kind of send me a text and say, Hey, are you going to have lunch at hospitality or whatever? And I know that's his way of saying, you know, what, you know, I want to talk about something or I got a question. And of course then I'll always say, Oh yeah, I was, I was headed over. <laughs> right sure. now. Uh, but it's, it's not been, it hasn't been too hard. It, it's actually been mostly 99% enjoyable and fun for me. And not not too much of the other stuff. No, that's awesome. That's really really good. How would you describe him, like as as a racing driver? So obviously you you've worked with a lot of different guys. You've raced yourself, been very successful. Like, where do you recognize as like two or three of his best kind of attributes and 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 things that he's um, very good at in in comparison to other people you've worked with? Well, he's he's definitely very level. He doesn't get too up. And he, he doesn't get too down when things go wrong. And I think Coda was a great example of that. You know, he, he had a problem. His car stopped in the first session, as you did, Alex. And it's very easy sometimes for, you know, he missed the whole next practice. It's very easy to let your whole weekend start to unwind. And yet you guys both had these setbacks. And yet by the end of the weekend, you know, you guys were racing together and racing for a win. And I think that's that's a strength is is just kind of not not letting a setback become something that becomes cumulatively worse and, and affects the end of your weekend. You just kind of keep moving forward. I don't know if I answered the question completely, but that's no, I don't. yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you think that's from you? Because, I mean, that's the way I, I perceive you to be. Oh, that's that's nice of you to say, but I don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you have kids, you realize they they all kind of have their own stuff, right? And, and my kids, I got three, they're all different. They're all great in different ways. That's just how he, that's just him, you know? And he, he's been like that since, since he was born, you know, he's kind of, he's quiet. He's a thinker. He's not real gregarious. So the exact opposite of Tim. Yeah. So. Exact opposite of Tim. hundred percent. Loud, doesn't think at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not that adaptable to things. No, can't. I can't yeah. deal with change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can't deal with. I can't deal with a lot, Tim. No. You can't, you can't deal with logging into Skype, bro. So I would. Yeah, James. No room to talk here. It took you twenty minutes to log on to Skype today. I want to say that Skype was not being very helpful, but that is true. It did take me twenty minutes to log on to Skype. Brian, I got. Do you, what kind of what kind of dad was your dad? What kind of racing dad was your dad when you were growing up? Um. <clears throat> 
nervous wreck, I guess I would say. <laughs> um, yeah, he he uh, he still he was at the race. He was there at Coda, so it was so cool that he got to be there and and be part of that win for Colton. You know, he he was nervous, and I think maybe the way the reason I'm try I try to be hands off because I remember the times when my dad would try and get involved with the team or try and help me. And I usually ended up getting upset with him for it because I didn't, I didn't want him to upset the team or right to, to do that. So I think it was probably that experience and he didn't do it often. And, and, but it's hard, right? There's a lot of times where my instinct is to go over and stick my head in the trailer and say, Hey, what are you guys doing here? But I know that's not, that's not the right thing and it's not what I should do. And I, I think there were a couple of, ex, you know, it wasn't like a weekly thing, but there was a couple of times where I felt like my dad tried to do that. I didn't, it wasn't good. So I guess I've drawn that and say those I'm, I'm going to learn from that, but he's, he's incredibly, incredibly supportive. And, you know, he watches every single session we do online, even, you know, even with the 98 before Colt was over here racing, you know, he watches everything we do and he loves it. So it's, it's very much a family thing for us. I, I will say one thing that was really cool for me personally this weekend was I was in hospitality when Colton won the race and to see your dad react to that, to just see him like overcome with emotion and screaming. That was, that was really <laughs> cool. That was a really awesome moment to be a witness of. Yeah. Thank you. What were you doing at that moment, Tim? I was uh, I was on my twelfth beer, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that summed up my day at Coda. Guys, I'm just impressed that Tim can count to twelve. Well, no, the Andretti to hospitality beers. guys told me how many I'd had when they were telling me I wasn't welcome at the next race. Right. Uh. It was. This is a case of beer. There's twelve in them, and then when they, they were all gone, you knew how many you'd drunk. Yeah, it was all in the it was all in the letter that uh, details why I'm not allowed at races anymore. so brian i don't want to get too too lost in uh just speaking about the last weekend because uh though you are the parent of superstar in the making colin herda you're brian herda you are an incredibly accomplished racer in your own right and i want to i want and i think the fans want to know a little bit more about that how you got your start in indycar and uh, and go through some of the big uh, big accomplishments in your career. Oh, <clears throat> okay. I didn't bring notes <laughs> prepared to talk about myself, but <laughs> come on. So how, how did you yeah. get your start? How did you get like, your start? I mean, now like Colin got his like, start now, but how did it so start? So karting, right? Karting, obviously. You know, I, I always say, you know, you don't see any major league baseball players that didn't play little league, and you don't see any professional race car drivers that didn't start in go karts, and that's pretty much true. So. You know, I started a little later. Uh, I started at 12 in karting. I did that. I went to the skip bar driving school when I was 18 and worked my way up in, through Indy Lights. And then in 1994, A.J. Foyt hired me to do the Indy 500. And that was actually my first Indy car race, was driving for Super Techs at, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is which was an amazing experience. And that you know, and at, at that point, I was uh, I had just turned 24 years old and I felt really a little overwhelmed with the whole thing initially and a little out of my depth. So that's one of the reasons I'm just I'm so impressed now with nowadays the kids that come through karting, 
they're so much better prepared and they're so much more ready earlier in their lives. I think that speaks volumes for the training programs and everything that's happened to help them get ready because I, I couldn't even have imagined at 18 strapping in one of these things. I, I, I couldn't get my head around that. And how much do you, I mean, you mentioned it there pretty briefly, but how much of that do you put down to the, the kind of the latter series? Because I mean, racing is, is such a unique sport in the sense that there's really not one kind of correct path um, to, to get to where you need to be. And there's really no system or, or outline of how to do it. I mean, do, do you put a lot of it down to kind of what Mazda started with the road to Indy and, and obviously what's now existing with, with still the stepping stones that are there? Um, do you think that's the, the main reason why the kids are getting younger and younger? I think so. I think, I think putting, putting the good kids together, you know, when I came through, you know, in the junior formula and the stuff I did, it seemed like there was always like one or two other really good guys that you felt like you had to beat to move forward. But, you know, then there was a guy over in Atlantic that you heard was really good and some guy over here. But you weren't now in the road to Indy. You see these kids and there's, you know, five or six of them all together or seven of them that, that are all like, hey, these guys all could be potential stars of the future. And that makes, I think it makes you better faster. You're racing harder competition, they they push each other and you have to raise your level to to stay there. So I think, I think it's that. I really think, I really think that the simulations and eye racing and all this stuff, I think it plays a role too, because none of those things used to exist. Mm. And I think these kids, they just, they, they get immersed more deeply, more quickly. We didn't have all the data acquisition that didn't exist on junior formula cars, none of that stuff. So now they're, they're, they're being a lot more immersed and they're being trained in the same way that you are once you get to IndyCar. So it's not such a big step. When I got to IndyCar, not only was the car way faster, right? But I'd never had to go, I'd never had to look at data and had multiple right. engineers to deal with. All that stuff was a big change where these kids now, the way they work is the same as the way we work. The scale just gets a little bigger and the car gets a little faster, but it's way less. Uh, of an overwhelming thing because they're used to it. That's a really good point. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't think of that at all. But um, yeah, I mean, when you started racing, when James started racing, I mean, TV was in black and white. And um, <laughs> wow, <laughs> man, I didn't well, realize I, that. I thought it was yes, I, I remember as a kid watching some of James' early races. And right. All enthralled. <laughs> yes. Yeah, wow. you were great in Ben Hur. <laughs> <laughs> so you brian had uh a front row seat to one of the coolest i think rivalries in uh in indycar history back in the the newman haas days did you not i did i absolutely did what was it like seeing you know incumbent mario andretti living legend successful and everything he'd ever you know strapped into go head to head with you know, the pinnacle of motorsports reigning champion in Nigel Mansell when he came over to IndyCar. I mean, I've, I've heard that that relationship at times could be a bit, uh, a bit tense. It, by at times you meant at all the times, right? Because it was, yeah, as long it was as either men were alive. It was all of that. It was all of that and more. It really, it really was. So here I was, I was racing in Indy lights 
and I got the chance. I was also sort of the unofficial Newman Haas test driver, and that all kind of came about because they were starting. They were at the forefront at that time of starting to build a simulation model called the Adams model, and the way they had to validate that is they had to do all these tests with the actual race car and then validate the the data. So a lot of it was really boring stuff, like just go out on a skid pad and do a J turn and do a hard braking. And they were collecting all this data and then matching it up to what the model did. So Nigel Mansell and Mario Andretti weren't going to do that stuff. That was was peasant work. That was below them. It was, yeah, it was, it was way below them. And so, so they put me, (laughs) there we go. Sit Rover. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> so they so they put me into the mix as a test driver, but then that started going well, and I started I started testing with them. So I went to all the tests with the team, and then obviously I was racing Indy Lights on the weekend. <clears throat> but Mario was was laid out late on in his career. There was a faction of people, including Nigel Mansell, that were pushing, trying to push Mario out, and some of which pushing me to become Nigel's new teammate. Nigel was pushing that because. He wanted, in the F1 mentality, he wanted a number two driver, right? And he thought I would be willing to be a number two driver on the team. And so then because of that, Mario kind of, Mario hated me back then. I think if you asked him, he would admit that. He didn't like me. He he just kind of, he kind of tolerated, he tolerated me being around, but he he was definitely not over overtly friendly or glad right, to see Particularly me. warm around you. Right, right. And. And but to see those two guys interacting, right? And it was subtle, and it was it was everything, right? It was if one of them had a different, better parking pass, the other had to get that parking pass. Like every every little thing, the war was fought not just on the track, but on every single level behind the scenes as to validating what their position was in the team and who was what was the hierarchy. And Nigel had been there and had achieved so much with the team, but then Nigel was the guy in motorsport at that time, reigning world champion. And so he was getting a lot of attention and the, the dynamic was crazy. And to watch, watch those two guys sort of play out their battle of wills behind the scenes and, and get to see and be part of all that was pretty amazing. Did you have a good relationship with Nigel? Yeah, I, I did because because he he wanted to groom me as his you know what what he would tell me pull me aside and tell me was he wanted you know you can come in and be the number two and you know basically in his mind that meant never beat him or never try to beat him (laughs) but for a year or two and then he would eventually retire or move out of IndyCar and then I could flourish right uh but he was great. As a matter of fact, I, I did a test at Sebring where it was the first time they really let me have a full test day myself. And it, it they never told me, but it felt very much like an evaluation, like could I be an option for the following year? And they had this they had this chicane that was in cones back on the back straight back then because because uh, there was no runoff at the end of the back straight. So they used to build a chicane out of cones. And Nigel went on the back straight while I was testing. And he'd started rearranging the cones. No way. So so when I come up to it, sometimes the chicane would get tighter. Sometimes it would open back <laughs> up. But I never knew I never knew exactly what was gonna happen. He was just 
he was just screwing with me, right? And so, but I awesome. never knew what was going to happen. But here's how I know he wanted to help me and what was on my side was because at the end of the day, when they finally they let the fuel down and they gave me a new set of tires and they put on, we'd been testing on road course tires all day and they put on street course tires and and dropped the fuel. And I went out to do my run and I came up to that chicane the first lap and normally it had been like a, a third gear chicane, downshift from six, down a third, hard brake, and then accelerate back out down to the right hair, uh, hairpin. I came through there and it was it was just a lift and downshift into fifth and then straight through. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he opened it way up. So when I got when I got the new tire run, I ended up Mario was testing that day too, and I ended up because of that. I ended up significantly faster than Mario. Oh boy! <laughs> so I, Nigel, kind of he was messing with me all day. He liked to kind of make sure he kept you in check, but when when it counted, he was he was looking out for me. <laughs> did yeah? Uh, did I assume you've told Mario this since? I I don't I don't think so. I I feel like <laughs> that's. I, I don't know how to bring up his name to Mario because I, I, I have so much respect. And Mario's sure. right with me on the timing stand for most of the races with Marco. And, and <laughs> I just I just love that he's he's there. But I still don't feel comfortable enough to bring up Nigel's name for fear that he's going to stop liking me again. Because <laughs> he didn't like me then. And I don't want to <clears throat> I don't want to go back to that. He's uh, it's so funny with Mar- Mario on there. And, you know, he never really you know, he doesn't say all oh, i think you made a mistake right but his nonverbal communication like if i i call him into the pits or you know something and mario doesn't agree with it you just kind of get a kind of a sigh and a, and a and a shake of the head and you're like ah i hate that disappointment <laughs> mario andretti but but uh yeah he's you know he's a living legend he's still a hero to me and he's standing right there so it's pretty amazing but no i i have never told him that story and i don't know that i ever would is um it's amazing to meet somebody that has the same level of excitement i'll never forget kind of being new to the team and um go down to do a straight line test where you know we're just doing constant speed runs and and they have mario in the second car and he is actively trying to like go faster than me and like beat me to the point where he's spinning like because he's going too quickly around that the area where you turn around at the end of the runway and it, it, other than Elio Castroneves, I don't think there's anyone that loves driving as much as he does. And it's so cool to see him still around and involved and doing the two-seater program. And it's just awesome. It's, it's incredible. And it was as, it was as true then. As a, you know, when I was with those guys in that era, I went to all the tests. And when Nigel was testing, if things were going well, Usually the pilots for his jet would show up at the track around 2.30 or 3, full uniform. And I knew when they showed up, within 30 minutes to an hour, he was done and out of there. Which, whenever that happened, meant I got to get in the car for the last hour and finish whatever stuff. <laughs> he, he'd used up all his new tires and all his, you know, added front wing, front wing, front wing, new tires, set his fast lap. I'm out of here. And that meant I got to do some actual driving at the end of the day, which I always looked forward to. When I went to a test and Mario was driving, I knew I was never getting in that car because Mario did not get out all day long ever unless they asked him to. They had to ask him to get out. He would get in that car 
first thing in the morning, he'd sit in it all day, and wow. he there wasn't a single laugh that he didn't cherish, and that's it's it's um, it's hard to describe that that level of passion. I mean, I loved it, but I could not even rival the level of passion he had then, and that hasn't diminished. I loved. Have you guys ever talked to him about the two seater driving he does? Not it's, really. So he, you know, he's nearly 80 years old. He's still driving the IndyCar two seater and giving people rides. And he he comes on our timing stand and he's asking, well, "What front springs do you guys have on?" And he's he's changing <laughs> the setup on his car. And he'll, yeah. I mean, he and at Indy he asked for you know what angles are you running the front wing end plates all this stuff. We end up giving him different wickers to put on his car and he'll he challenges himself right there's there's no race there's no anything but he challenges every single lap that he drives in that two-seater himself to always keep getting better and always keep improving and it is unbelievable uh, no word yeah I've, I've heard i've heard stories from the guys that work the two-seater program that you know Mario's always got to have the best tires. He's always got to be in the car with the freshest engine. You know, he does. Yes. He, he makes makes them do setup changes to the two seater, which is just awesome. I love I love the passion the guy has. And one of the one of the best stories that I remember having with him was in 2012. We're standing at the speedway, and uh, you know, it's the first year of the new car, so there's you know, a lot of questions, whatever. And uh, everyone's trying to figure out where they stack up. And I was standing in pit lane with Marco and Mario. And somebody goes by, and we're just kind of standing there in silence watching. Not out of nowhere, he just leans over to us, and he goes, you know, I could probably still beat half the wankers out here. And Marco and I just burst out laughing, not because it was a crazy comment, because we actually agreed with him. You know, we knew that was probably true. Yeah. If, if somebody would give him a ride tomorrow, um, I'm 100% sure he would do it. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I, I just want to chime in. I, I, I was lucky enough to do the two seater at Indy once and yeah, he's, he's right on the line. You know, he's not taking it light, but one of my favorite like realizations that I had while I was on there is that if something goes wrong in the two seater with Mario Andretti, I had to accept the fact that in that headline, I'm and passenger. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a weird one. I don't even think I had health insurance at the time. It was pretty dumb. <laughs> they probably uh, wouldn't have covered it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's in my policy. Uh, now, Brian, this has all been fascinating, but there's also one other thing I really want to talk about with you, and that is what it, what I think is my absolute favorite flight ever, and that is you, me, and Alex on the plane home from Coda back to L.A. And do you want to, do you guys want to talk about that? Can I talk about it? How do you want to do that? Well, it was your favorite flight, so why don't you explain why, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> well, it starts off, and the pilot gets on the PA before we've even taken off, and he says, you know, something along the lines of, and, and just if anybody's wondering, there was an ra- IndyCar race at COTA this weekend, and Colton Herta won the IndyCar race. And, you know, a few of us cheered, and this very drunk passenger just goes, leans over to you because he heard you cheer and go, oh, were you at that race? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I personally just really enjoyed seeing him bug you the entire time. Uh, and then <laughs> Alex hiding, just, uh, uh, just praying that this guy would not recognize him and engage him in conversation. 
<laughs> so, yeah, so there, there was a number of people on the plane from <clears throat> coming from the race. Alex was on it. Stefan Johansson was on it with us. Uh, Oriel Servia was on the flight. <clears throat> and this this race fan who enjoyed his race day immensely, quite clearly, by his condition on the plane. <laughs> so at what I can only describe as above full volume, right, he starts going on about the race. And then he, I guess, recognized who I was. And so Alex comes into play immediately because he starts bringing up the Indy 500 from 2016 and <clears throat> clutching coast and, and all this stuff. And, and Tim, you trying to help facilitate the conversation turned around and said, yeah, but I think that Rossi guy is way overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I meant it. I meant the every word. Saying, he starts saying things that you would never say if the guy, the person you're talking about is in the room, but he doesn't realize he's in the room. Right. And I was, I was conflicted whether to correct him on some of it or to just let him go. And I, right. And then he, then he brings up Stefan Johansson, who, what are the odds that Stefan Johansson is sitting in the seat right in front of him? Unbeknownst to this guy, he says, Stefan Johansson managing Colton. I said, no, we can't afford him as a manager. (laughs) So the guy says, yeah, have you seen him lately? That guy's looking so old. Went <laughs> 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 on about everything at full volume and talking about Alex like he's not in the room and and Steph, It was you had to be there, right? I was actually crying. I was laughing. So it was it was one of the most uncomfortable moments of my life, though. <laughs> that's why. Because... <laughs> that's why I was wondering because I couldn't see you because you were two rows up in front of me. <clears throat> I didn't know if you were like laughing or just Computer. like hiding. I was slouching down and I think I was sweating from the anxiety of having to speak to someone in that type of condition. So, yeah, um, I'm very glad that you didn't out me in that situation, even though Tim, despite his best, best efforts. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> then I, I love something Brian, else I love... Happened, right? The weird the weirdest part, right, that I've never seen or had this happen before. You want is the pilot comes out mid-flight, right? Comes out of the cockpit with his with his cell phone. <laughs> At this point, I'm I traded seats and I'm sitting up with Alex and we're playing Nintendo. He's turned me on to the joys of Mario Kart. Yeah, and that's another part of the flight that's my favorite. I brought my Nintendo 64, and Alex bought a miniature TV, so we were just sitting in the plane playing in 64 Mario Kart for the whole flight. When right. you started talking about how great this flight was, I assumed it was purely because <laughs> of the Mario Kart. Other stuff is news to me, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So, I, I, so the pilot comes out with his cell phone and says, Hey, uh, could I get a selfie real quick with you? Like, we're mid-air. He should be flying. And he's about to head back into the cockpit, and then he looks over, and he sees Alex sitting there. He's like, oh, 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 can I get a picture with you? <laughs> so now we're, now we're taking these pictures. I, I was hoping that he might even offer to let us try and help land, but that didn't happen. 
But other than that, I can't think of what else could have happened on the flight. I mean, that, that was, that was too fantastic. Bloody. Right. I think yeah. my favorite comment, Brian, that you made the whole flight was when the guy kept and the guy. I think it was the sixth or seventh guy time that this guy had loudly announced that we have a famous race car driver on the plane. Right. You and I made Brian. You and I made eye contact, and you just go, "I don't even think I'm the third most famous." passenger on this plane <laughs> like, i don't think i'm the third most famous driver here i i i'm bare i i may or may not be in the top three most famous indycar drivers on the flight <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty great i could uh, almost promise you that Finn was not in the top three most famous podcast producers on the flight <laughs> well all right brian this is uh this has been a pleasure and a privilege for for a lot of reasons a because obviously um you know colton uh accomplishing what he did yesterday is going to go down in history for for a very long time and you mentioned you think that at some point someone younger will eventually come along but uh i really don't see someone being 17 anytime soon but uh neither here nor there the fact that you know you were one of my first point of contacts um in indycar and someone that i learned a huge amount from uh in my first couple of years in 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 the series um you know really appreciate you coming on and uh i'll see you uh in two weeks in barber and um with that thank you for entertaining tim uh excessively and uh, make sure that you change your phone number if you have given it to him (laughs) Uh, with that it's been another wonderful episode of off track with hinch and rossi Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Thim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to add producer Thim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that I mean thin. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 